Welcome to another episode of When Everything is Missions with Matthew Ellison. And as usual, Matt has a superb guest, a controversial topic, and a great deal of food for thought about biblical missions. Jeff Lewis is the guest. He's Discipleship Director with Radical Ministry. Jeff has been involved in the Ministry of Mobilization for the last 32 years and has ministered in 56 countries. That is our guest. Now for our topic. It is... Stop Calling Everyone a Missionary. You may have heard recently that the Pope declared that all Christians should consider themselves missionaries, and he's not alone in that opinion. With that for preface, here's our host, author, and missions coach, Matthew Ellison. Joined in studio by co-host Denny Spitters and their guest, Jeff Lewis. Welcome to the When Everything is Missions podcast. I am Matthew Ellison with 1615, and I am with my very good friend, Denny Spitters, also co-author of the book we wrote a couple of years ago, When Everything is Missions. Of course, the podcast is named after the book. Denny, I love being mm-hmm. with you. Thanks, man. Yeah, good to be back. And we have a special guest. Why don't, why don't you yes. tell us about our special guest here today? Well, Jeff Lewis is with us, and uh, Jeff made uh, the bold uh, effort to actually write the forward to our book. So we're going to find out, you know, how what he really thinks today. Yeah, that's good. <laughs> So, Jeff, before you talk about our book and why you wrote the foreword, why you stuck your neck out for us, basically, uh, why don't you give us a little bit about your history in missions mobilization? Um, How long have you been doing this? Wow. Over 32 years now. Hmm. I was a globally clueless church planner in north central Pennsylvania, and God began to awaken my heart. And, and this was literally a three-year journey of Scripture memory, memorization that the Holy Spirit was taking me on, that at the end of the three years, it was like, oh, my goodness, now I know what burdens your heart, that your name and your renown would be known among all the nations. Amen. Mm. Wow. So it was staggering. So how long ago was that? Oh, my goodness. I'm, that I'm journey no, no. was... <laughs> Oh, wow. That started in 1984, that journey. Wow. But you look so young. Of course I do. <laughs> Especially on a podcast. Clean no living. Exactly. See me. exactly. That's what I love clean about Clean living. It. You attribute this to clean living, brother. A biblical living <laughs> yeah. and enjoyment. That's right. That's right. <laughs> so you've been involved in missions for a long time, but specifically mobilization 32 years, right? Yes. That's what you said? So let's just think about this for a minute, gentlemen. I was involved in mobilization at a local church for 10 years as a missions pastor. 15 years, I've been doing 16, 15. So 25 years in mobilizing the church to engage in discipling all nations. You, 32 years. And I think- About 25. 25. So the collective years at this table in missions mobilization is north of 90? Yeah. Well, I hope we have something to offer our listeners. You would think after all that time, we might have something important to say. Or we just might forget everything we've learned. And it's going to be fairly boring for them. Yeah, we'll find out. Hey, well, brothers, I'm, I'm 49. Come on. Okay. I'm really glad Jeff There's is here. There's a young buck here. <laughs> I'm glad Jeff is here to kind of, you know, keep things on equilibrium to some extent anyway. So, Jeff, when we were talking about writing this book, you were a great encourager to us in a lot of different ways and just kind of helping guide our thinking from helping to guide our thinking on one end to giving helpful feedback as we uh, really look to make this as biblical a book as we could possibly do so with our backgrounds and our, our sense. Let, let me, let me ask you um, 
Why did you write the forward to our book and support our thesis? When everything is missions, nothing is missions. Well, to me, it was a no-brainer. I mean, it fit into what had one of the burdens I've had in my heart being, you know, now 32 years in mobilization, you work among men and women who, who always had, I had a different perspective than they did because their perspective came out of very traditional mission, understanding, definition, normally connected with an organization that sent mm. and then churches that would see themselves were mission churches, but I've probably been in a thousand plus churches. And one of the things I always want to do is look at their budget sure, to see what the breakdown is, mm -hmm. or they're trying yep. to show me, look out what a mission church we are by budget. And you look at the budget and go, you know, a lot of churches, nothing dealt with missions, Yeah, but they put it under the category there because it fit the contemporary view of missions. I think in a way that allowed them to say they were doing something that they really weren't. Yeah. And then you develop an understanding of missions just can be going anywhere, working, you know, doing good stuff, working in an orphanage someplace mm -hmm. around the world. Mm -hmm. But yet there's still two billion people who have never heard the name of Jesus before. Yeah. And we ignore them as we continue to reinforce that work where the church is strong. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. And so, so, you know, one of the questions that Danny and I worked on leading up to this podcast was why'd you put your neck on the chopping block for us? And, and you know, that, yeah. a little humorous here, a little sarcasm. Okay. But in truth, Denny and I have met with considerable pushback from certain individuals. Like don't mess with that idea. That can't be biblical. We were at a mobilization mm -hmm. event in fact here in Albuquerque just a few months ago. And there was tension in the room Ooh. when we challenged the idea that not everyone is a missionary. And this particular pastor had not only heard this for so long, but it had been teaching it for so long that he pushed back, you know, and the, the dialogue was important. But have you experienced that pushback from people when you challenge this? Well, I, I to be quite honest, I have received pushback for 32 years. Wow. <laughs> so wow. because when you approach missions biblically, biblically and you, I didn't grow up in the church, I didn't really discover missions in the church. I discovered it through a biblical journey. And so just because I hear it said in the church, I don't assume it's true until I see if it's biblical. And so, so since the number one thing that has guided my mobilization is Scripture. And so if Scripture is that which guides it, and you live in a world that is more experiential, whether it's a mission world, a church world, and they define things either through branding, through a cool statement that is now parroted without anybody checking it out to see if it's true, mm -hmm. mm. it will ultimately evolve into a perversion of what we are to be about. And so I've lived in that world yeah. for those 32 years, not out of choice, but you know, when you kind of follow script, it's, I'll give you an example. One of the first things I had to fight as a mobilizer was the way you get people into missions is get them on a missions trip. Yeah. That will capture their heart. Well, I coordinated all of Southern Baptist collegiate missions for five years. So we were sending out two to 3,000 students a year 
across the world. Wow. And I would have an opportunity of hearing their stories when they came back in our debriefings. Yes. And you would hear, I'll never be the same. Oh my goodness, this changed my my life. So the missionaries are hearing that person speak in, you know, using hyperbole because they've just come off a real spiritual high. But then I see those students three or four months later on their college campuses when I'm invited to do something and I'll see them and I go, hey, tell me about how you said you'd never be changed. And basically 90% went back to status quo. And I would argue the best mobilizer is scripture. And if you want a mission experience to truly mobilize, it has to be based on biblical truth and interpreted through that biblical truth, not through an existential moment. Yeah. I I thought, uh, I think a lot of what you're talking about right now is how the church does missions as program. Yes. It, yes. It's more about, oh, we have a program for missions. Oh, yeah, we do, we do missions. We have a program for missions. There's a group over here. They kind of, you know. But as far as it being more centrical, central or integral to the church, that's a different issue and entirely different. Oh, definitely. I mean, the church was birthed in a global context. Acts chapter 2. Yep. Holy Spirit comes upon the 120 in the upper room. And what is the manifestation that the Spirit of God now lives within them? Mm-hmm. They speak the gospel in the, the languages of the nations. Yeah, that right. is the church right. birthed in a global context. So missions is not a program. It is infused in the DNA of the church. It's who she is. Yeah. So it must be infused in every single fiber of the church, every single program of the church. Yeah. It has to be under, accomplished and understood in a global context. I think something else that we see in Acts 2 that's significant is that the church was mobilized, mobile, right? God met his people at the temple. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Right? Um, In fire, showed up in fire. And now there's a parallel. God shows up in fire, these, you know, flames of these flaming tongues, right? Excuse me. (laughs) I think you're tongue-tied, but go ahead. I'm (laughs) tongue-tied. You get the picture. Tongues of flame. And, you know, um, flames of tongue, tongues of flame. Tongues of flame. All right. Okay. So, um, but God was franchising and mobilizing his church because no longer was the presence of God going to be limited to a building or a place, but he was placing his spirit within his people and people can move. And modeled by the word becoming flesh and dwelling among us, which was the expression from the Shekinah glory of God being in tabernacle and temple. Now it's Jesus, and now we are to walk in the same way he walked with the same vision and the same goal of discipling the nations. Well, I'm going to step out on a limb a little further, even with a chainsaw on a hand, to <laughs> say, I, I, I think that often most church leaders um, and pastors, and I want to be very, I, I'm very pastoral focused, I love what pastors um, have to do that are, it's really difficult many times, their role in churches. So I'm not putting pastors down, but I think leaders in churches want to use missions to simply do one thing, and that is to get people to share the gospel. And the way they, that I can do that mm. is to call everybody a missionary. 
And if I call everybody in my church a missionary and put the sign up as you're going out the parking lot that says you're now entering your mission field, then I'm going to get people to really start sharing their faith. And usually the proof text for this is John 20, 21. As the Father has sent me, so send I you. We're all sent. We're all missionaries. Everybody get out there. Let's go do it. Uh, talk a little bit about John 20, 21. Wow, a little bit Just about little John bit. 20, <laughs> <a few> 21. <laughs> Uh-oh. So, all right, this is a huge challenge for me because I normally would teach two hours on John 20, 21. So, you got yeah. two minutes. I know. I've got to summarize this now. Well, what's going on? First in that of all, verse? first of all, what we have to understand is this is the very first commissioning statement yes. that Jesus gave yep. on the Sunday evening of his resurrection. Wow. So, this is the first one. They're behind locked doors. He appears to them, says, Peace be with you. As the Father has sent me, so I send you. But we also need to realize that Thursday, the night of his arrest, he prayed something very similar in John 17, 18. As you sent me into the world, mm. I send them into the world. Now, this commissioning statement has nothing to do with the idea of being a missionary. It is the foundational concept that God is a commissioning God. Yes. He commissioned humanity in Genesis 1, 28. Be fruitful and multiply and subdue the earth. They were commissioned to subdue the earth. You have the commissioning of the children of Israel. And I believe yep. it is beautifully articulated in the Mosaic Covenant by a preposition for. For all the earth is mine. In other words, if the preposition is correct there, it's a causal clause, which means God has selected Israel because of his love for the nations. Mm. And he's called them to be a light to the nations. And in a kingdom of priests to and a God. holy nation, yes. And a holy nation. Yeah. yeah. Yep. So this is the proof text that comes right. out of the missional movement yeah. that basically they say, look, it's validated here. As the Father has sent me, so send I you. So we're all sent ones. Therefore, right. we're all missionaries. That's not what's going on here. No. Basically, what I think, what I believe it supports is when you become a follower of Christ— you embrace a nomadic lifestyle. Mm. That's basically like we're strangers, aliens, yep, ambassadors. That's right. It's more this nomadic lifestyle that Christ, is, Christ has called us to, that when the Spirit of God, as the cloud by day and the fire by night mm -hmm. in the Exodus journey, as the Spirit of God now dwells in us, as he calls us, into the world, so we engage the world. We're not to isolate ourselves from the world. That's huge. We don't isolate ourselves in a church mm -hmm. building or a tabernacle or a temple. We're sent into the world to engage it, to live in the middle of the world. But it also is the understanding of we give up the right of calling some point on the globe home. <laughs> no longer can we fix a point on the globe and say, this is home. Oh, that's good. We have chosen mm. a nomadic lifestyle that we move when he says move, we go when he says go. That could be cross-cultural or that could be now go talk to your neighbor and share Christ. Yes. Now ask that business partner or person you're working with in the marketplace to go out to lunch. Start, invite him over to your house. 
This is about engaging the world. But the key component in the commissioning statement of John 20, 21, and 17, 18 is this is not talking about task. Hmm. As the Father sent me is how did the Father send the Son, not what did the Father send the Son to do. And we normally interpret John 20, 21 as another task statement. And we connect it with John 3, 17. Right. God did not send his Son into the world to condemn the world, but to save the world. So there's the task. Yep. John 20, 21, and... You gave me two minutes. I've already taken four. <laughs> I knew it would happen. That's all right. <laughs> but here's how I would summarize it. If you want a soundbite, here's one. Okay. How did the Father send the Son? In intimate submission to the Father's will. How does the Son send us as the Father sent the Son? In intimate, intimate submission to the Father's will through His Son, Jesus Christ. So it's the manner in which we are sent. Yes, it's not the, it shouldn't be the proof text that says everyone's a missionary. Oh, no. It's the manner. It's yeah. in John 5, you have Jesus never says anything on his own initiative. Yep. Never does anything on his own, own initiative. He doesn't judge on his own initiative. Nothing. It's like, wait a second, you're God. For You know, for going to say, you're yes. God, you can do. No. He, the word became flesh mm. and dwelt among us to live in a way, to model for us, this is how I'm going to send you. It's more the sentness, so yes. to speak. Yeah. Yeah. It's who we are. All of us. It's what it, we are sent to engage a world, nomadic lifestyle related to the cause of Christ, yielding in pursuing intimacy with the living God, and in that intimacy, being obedient through the prompting of the Word of God and the Spirit of God. So one of the things Denny and I service on the book is some of the history behind this idea that everyone's a missionary. And at least one example is that we live in a post-Christian culture and it's becoming increasingly post-Christian, mm -hmm. less and less receptive to the gospel. Very you know, there, there was a time where it was favorable to be a Christian in our culture. Yeah. And there's some traces of that now, but I don't think it's going to no. be long lived. Okay. It's no. going to become less and less favorable to love and follow Jesus. But so we, we right. have this post-Christian culture, much like Europe, and it requires a missions-like advance. We should be thinking about contextualizing the gospel. We should be thinking about building bridges. So we have the rise of the missional movement um, and the introduction that everyone is now a missionary. And the problem that I have with that is that we're dealing with a post-Christian culture, not a pre-Christian culture. So address that a little bit, because I think, you know, there are some historical things going on, you know, the shift that's been happening in culture that led to this idea that everyone's a missionary. Wow. I really haven't thought of it <laughs> in that context, but I mean, the whole Christian movement was in a pre-Christian culture, which would be very similar to the post-Christian culture that it finds itself in today. Mm -hmm. And I'd say we try to then make it about the world that we live in now in the United States is post-Christian so if we call them missionaries, we maybe will get more people to right. engage that culture. Right. Well, that's because we don't have a good understanding of biblical discipleship. Mm. We're called to make disciples of all nations. And so one of the things I think we've done is we've extracted 
evangelism from discipleship. Really, what evangelism is, is pre-conversion discipleship. Yeah. And so if we would teach our men and women and disciple them in the context of a biblical understanding of discipleship, then we wouldn't have to, you know, capture a world a word called missionary and use it for a purpose that really discipleship was intended to be that a word yeah. to get us engaged in our culture. Yeah. Well, it's it's interesting as we rub shoulders with people that really push up against this. Very often, there's a great resistance to call, like, well, well, if we don't call them missionaries, what do we call them? And I'm like, well, how about disciples? How about, I mean, believer, disciple, Christian, synonymous. Follower of Jesus. Follower of Jesus. <laughs> I mean, how about that? And, and a missionary is simply someone that's taking that yeah. and taking it to a different culture. And yeah. the thing that really concerns me about calling everybody a missionary is they're going to—I know there are people who hear that that have been struggling with, I think God is calling me to take the gospel to where it's never been taken before. And then if they're continually inundated with everybody's a missionary, everybody's a missionary— they're going to start experiencing challenges to oh, get yeah. to where God wants them to go. And all of a sudden, if you give them an out, normally people will take the path of least resistance to fulfill a conviction. Yeah. And that's what we, once we start watering down what the terminology is, they take the path of least resistance to fulfill that which they believe God is directing them to. Be yeah. part of. So, in all fairness, we, we don't want to be guys that just beat something up and leave it. Let, let's talk about the positive side of this. How would you define what a missionary is? Like, how can we put together um, a definition that brings clarity to this? Yes, and I, my definition would be certainly open to critique and debate. But where I've landed is a missionary is one who is called out by the Holy Spirit, confirmed and sent by the church to engage the unreached and the unengaged of the world. Okay. That's pretty simple. Yeah. Pretty simple. So let me ask this question. I'm going to push on that a little bit. And okay. of course, I, I'm an advocate for a narrow definition of missions. Yep. Is there and a place? mine's very narrow. <laughs> yes, it's quite narrow. I will embrace that. Do we need church strengthening missionaries? Because what you just gave us in your definition is really a church planting missionary, a Paul type, yes. because you used unreached people and least reach in your definition. Is there a place for Timothy type missionaries, cross-cultural settings, where the church needs strengthening? Yes. Oh, Definitely. I wouldn't necessarily call them a missionary, but I think our struggle with what we call them is, if we don't call them a missionary, does it diminish their role? And I would say, not at all. Yes. Not at all. And I also would take for biblical support, Ephesians chapter 411. There are apostles, there are prophets, mm -hmm. there are evangelists, there are pastor, teacher. Yep. And this is all about for the equipping of the saints— in ministry. Yep. So I see the apostle, small a, not capital A, being the missionary calling. 
to take the gospel that's never been taken before. The prophet and the evangelist are those that, and even the pastor-teacher, can go cross-culturally to help strengthen the church, to work with the indigenous churches, to strengthen them, to help them capture a global vision. And so I celebrate that. Timothy missions or ministry, you know, cross-cultural ministry. <laughs> yeah. See, I even said it. You, you pointed that, you plotted that <laughs> word in my brain. But no, extremely valid. And I do a lot of that. Yeah. I love training indigenous leaders across the world. Yeah. Well, I want to read to you uh, kind of the cl- uh, part of the closing paragraph of your foreword in our book, because I think it's important for us to to kind of shift a little bit and talk about this, because when it comes to missions, what I tend to see a lot of is what you reflect here. And this is what you said. You said um, this book tackles a core issue that relates to the very DNA of the church. It calls us to rediscover and embrace the central plot of the story of God, his church, and her role in God's mission. You just reinforce that in our discussion here. And this is the line I want to focus on. May our mission definitions be driven not by our personal interests, prejudices, and preferences, but by the passions and purpose of the God of all nations. Uh, I thought we were supposed to find out what we're passionate about, and we're supposed to do that thing. God's got certain passions he's putting into my life, and I'm just supposed to go out there and go hook up to that and make it happen. Uh, You're calling for something very different here. Yes, and I've gotten into trouble a lot in that because it is the popular saying today to tell people to find your passion, and we have a place in our church for you to accomplish your passion. Yeah. And I think that is, uh, what adjective can I use for a podcast? (laughs) (laughs) we'd like to have you back okay (laughs) all right i'll just let your imaginations flow okay but i find that to be feeding upon the fleshly tendencies of man yeah this is about well one of the greatest um one of the greatest victories of the cross is I have been delivered from the slavery of living for self. Second mm. Corinthians 5.15, he died for all that those who live might no longer live for themselves, but for him who for their sake died and were raised. Mm. Now, few verses later, it's going to be, therefore, we are ambassadors of Christ. Yeah. It's part of our calling here. Right. Yeah. So we've been liberated from the slavery of living for self, so we might embrace his calling. Mm. Yep. And what we do when we tell people, find your passion, is to do a, this egocentric deep dive into, oh, wow, this is about me and God blessing my plans and agenda. No. One of the victories of the cross is liberating us from the slavery of living for self yeah. so that we might now live for him, mm. where his passions become our passions. I don't care about what your passion is. Yield to his passion. Now, he could resurrect and redeem it in a way that he can utilize it to accomplish his passion. But 
you lay that at the foot of the cross, and only he can resurrect that as he intends. But it's going to be always be in the context of his purpose and his agenda. And as the Father has sent me yes. in intimacy with it's God. It's always so in a global said, context. Yeah, there you go. And yeah. so send I you. Yes. So there's that whole idea that with all of the passages you just mentioned, the thinking of, uh, of Corinthians, that we are ambassadors. Yes. We are representatives. We are those who are carrying this message. Yeah, and as Paul would articulate in that section of Scripture, we have been uh, given the ministry of reconciliation. Mm. We've been entrusted with the message of reconciliation. And we are the very righteousness of God, both the verbalization and visualization of his message to the ends of the earth. Mm. I think this is critical, uh, referencing your quote again, that our mission's definition should be shaped and driven by the purpose of the God of all nations. reason I think this is critical is I come into a church to help them do mm. a process to clarify their global vision yeah. and strategy, and it's rare that I get church and missions leaders together in a room where they have a shared understanding of missions mm-hmm. that's driving their church's global mission. What they have is this mission statement for missions that is their good ideas pulled together, but they don't account for the fact that Jesus gave objective purpose and meaning when he gave the Great Commission. The five, Well, plus we, we have it from Genesis to Revelation, right. but Jesus himself, after the resurrection and prior to the ascension, five times reinforced this meta-narrative and it is an objective statement. It is not up for grabs. And, and I would just challenge listeners today, you know, if you're a pastor that's listening to the podcast or a missions leader, just pause a minute and say, is our global mission as a church shaped by the Bible, by the God of all nations, or is it shaped by trends, things that matter to us, preferences? That's a really good place to, to start. What shaped our global mission. Yeah. I I would have them look at the commissioning statement in Luke. In Luke 24, starting verse 45, it said that Jesus opened their minds to understand the scriptures. Mm. First of all, I'd love to have been a part of that Bible study because earlier on it says he took them to the law of Moses, the Psalms, and the prophets. Mm. And he opens their mind to understand the scriptures that the Christ must suffer on a third day, rise from the dead. Now, we would say those two, those two concepts are foundational to the church. Without those, the church doesn't exist. But then the third statement is, and this is part of his Bible study, that repentance for the forgiveness of sins shall be proclaimed in my name to all nations. And so it's, it is so infused in the story of the Old Testament in the story of God, in the story of Christ that he came to fulfill, that we sin greatly against him when we extract it from the core of who we are and make it into a program. Hmm. Well, I I couldn't think of a better way to actually end this podcast yeah. than thinking about that scripture right there and uh, allowing the gospel to really center our thoughts on what Jesus is asking of us. So thanks so much, Jeff, for being a part of this time. And uh, this has been okay. All right. (laughs) All right. Hey, folks, thanks for listening. We'll see you soon. As we close this session on When Everything is Missions, listen to this quote. 
Without a biblical definition informing and shaping a church's missions, decisions, and actions, they may find out that much of what they consider missions work is not missions at all. That's from our host, Matthew Ellison, head of 1615 Missions Coaching and co-author of the book, When Everything is Missions. If what you heard today from Matthew and his guest, Jeff, sparked something inside of you, you'll want to get a copy of the book, When Everything is Missions. This book has caused many church leaders to reconsider their approach to missions priorities. To order your copy, you can get it on the usual sites for books or at whenevertheringismissions.com. Next time, join Matthew Ellison and Danny Spitters as they consider the crucial question, what is a missionary? You're invited to join us then.